been, we're going to begin a series on um, doubt. Uh, we're going to look eventually at the story in, in the Gospel of Mark with the man that comes to Jesus and, and Jesus asks him if he believes. And the answer is simply, I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. Right? And isn't that the, the nature in which we find ourselves living a life it is, a, it is this life of belief, but at the same time it is mixed with um, doubt and uncertainty and maybe even some anxiety mixed in there. And, and we often don't know how to really deal with that. Sometimes we don't know if it's normal or if it's natural or if it makes us less of a Christian when we have those doubts. And so, um, coming, especially coming off of this the series we did on the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is, is what gives us that measure of ability to cope with the kinds of things that come about when it comes to doubt and uncertainty. It is the Spirit of God and His wisdom that leads us and guides us through those moments, it, it, not that keeps them from coming, but that enables us to overcome them in such a way that we come through on the other side with a stronger faith in who God is. So help my unbelief. There are all kinds of ways in which we as people experience um, doubt. Uh, there are all kinds of, of avenues and aspects of our life as a whole where we are just simply uncertain, right? Sometimes we are uncertain about family. Uh, we're uncertain if they're going to, to, to show up or be there or when they are there, how they're going to act or behave because sometimes we just don't act right around people that we love the most. And so sometimes just being around family can bring a sense of doubt and uncertainty. Maybe, you know, the government is always giving us reason to doubt one way or the other, right? Are you for us or against us? We don't know. And honestly, it doesn't matter who is leading the place. We're never really sure who is on our side and who is not on our side. Because we don't know what to trust. We don't know what information we can rely on. Um, the truth is, none of it comes without some form of bias or agenda in one way or another. And so, everything we read comes with a sense of, well, who wrote that and, and what's their agenda? And, and that doubt from some of the people that we're supposed to be able to trust the most leads us to doubt um, one another. Because now then, when you come and you tell me something, my antennas come up and I'm like, what are you really asking? Hey, Josh, you got a minute? <laughs> Depends. <laughs> What's coming next? I might or I might not. You know, we're a, little, we're a little skeptical on what's coming next. Because our world has shown us that nobody really looks out for us. And if I'm not looking out for me, nobody's going to look out for me. And so even our very relationships with one another are plagued with doubt and uncertainty. Our Christian walk is not so different. In fact, one of the biggest struggles we face as Christians is doubt in God. Because what we have seen is over and over again, from our perspective, evil prevails. People continue to die too soon. Disease continues to riddle people that we love and we know and respect. Violent crime continues to rise year after year. 
the places where we feel safe continue to dwindle and become smaller and smaller. At least from our perspective. And we look at God and we say, man, God, if you are as all-powerful and loving and sovereign as you say you are, why does this stuff keep happening in the world we are living in? And then it happens to us. And then we're really uncertain because, look, like I understand it happening out there because they don't know you and they don't love you, but I have tried my best to live my life for you. Why is this happening to me? And then we begin to doubt even God, not in his existence, but maybe we doubt his goodness. Maybe we doubt his faithfulness. Maybe we really doubt his love. We have this feeling of dissonance and, and these questions that we don't have answers to that come into our lives. And maybe we even wonder, does God even care about my prayers? Look of all the things that God is dealing with in this world, does he really care about what's going on in my life? Well, what we know through the balance of Scripture is that some way, somehow, Yes, he does. Some way, somehow, yes, he cares. Some way, somehow, yes, he does intervene, even if it is not in the way that I would intervene or ask him to intervene, that he is present and he is faithful and he is all-powerful and he is sovereign. But his timing and his perspective... And his ability to see the whole picture is something we just don't possess. And so it requires us to have faith in a God that we have seen work in the past and we recognize the promise of his work in the future in order to endure the doubts that are present in the present. I don't know if you're like me, right? If, if someone sends me a YouTube video that's more than about 30 seconds long, I'm going to fast forward to the end and see if it's worth it, and then I'll back up and watch it all the way through. Because I am interested in the process, but only if the end result is worth the investment of my three minutes. Right? Because my three minutes are valuable, let's be honest. My three minutes are valuable, and time is money, right? And so if I'm going to spend three minutes on a YouTube video, it's got to be worth it. We don't, we don't get the benefit of seeing the full picture but what we do get the benefit of is recognizing that you can't fast forward this video, but you've seen videos from this artist before. And over and over and over and over again, he has proven to you it is worth it for you to stick around for the end. And that was the message the apostles had, you know, on, on Friday, on that day when Jesus is crucified, and they're standing there looking and going, so, this is the Messiah we devoted three years of our lives to, and now he's dead on a cross, and we've got to go bury him. And so they bury Jesus in a tomb on Friday, and Saturday they're sitting in the upper room together looking at each other going, well, what are we going to do? Like, what do we do now? We gave everything up. You know, Peter, Andrew, James, and John are like, well, there's always a fishing boat nearby, so we can go fishing if we need to. 
but they stay close. They stay in Jerusalem. For some reason, they stayed in Jerusalem. And part of the reason they stayed in Jerusalem is because they recognized something that, that even though Jesus was dead and he was in the tomb, that there was something different about Jesus. And so they stayed close by for a moment longer. And because they stayed near to the cross on Friday, they were there on Sunday when they rolled the stone away and realized, oh, the tomb is empty. And they were there for the rest of the day when Jesus shows up and eats with them. And they were there for their trip when, when Jesus shows up and begins to teach them. And they were there for Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would come and descend on them and give them the power that Jesus had promised a few weeks before. Because they trusted in the presence of the Savior, of the Messiah, and they stayed close when they had no clue what to do next. Matthew chapter 11, we're going to look at the life of uh, John the Baptist here, or a, an episode in the life of John the Baptist here this morning. Um, this, it says to, let's go ahead and start in, in verse 1 of, of chapter 11 of the book of Matthew. It says, when Jesus had finished giving instructions to his disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Um, now, John the Baptist is in prison right now. Um, he's been imprisoned by Herod Antipas, I believe. And verse 2 says, now when John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message to his disciples. I want you to hear, I want you to hear the voice of a servant of Jesus who is looking at certain death in the face. And he sends a message to Jesus. And he asked, Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Right? Here's, here's a voice. Like, this is, this is Jesus' cousin, right? The voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, was the prophecy in the book of Isaiah. And John is sent to go and prepare the way for Jesus. And he is preaching to people saying, hey, Jews, you better get ready because your Messiah is coming. This is the same man who in the first part of John is teaching to his people, and he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the same John the Baptist who put Jesus into the water and when he raised him up, sees the Spirit of God descend on him like a dove and a voice of heaven cry out saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And so John the Baptist is willing to give his life for righteousness, but he's sitting here in a prison going, Hey Jesus, are you the one? Are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replies in verse 4, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Doubt is a natural part of any journey that you are on. Doubt is a natural part of my journey from here to my house. It's not that far away. But I'm going to tell you, my mind goes places. Sometimes I'm listening to a podcast. Um, sometimes I'm just thinking about something. Sometimes I'm listening to music, and I'll be cruising down Highway 16, and I'll be like, 
Did I pass? I did. I passed my turn. There's not a whole lot of places to turn around down there on that little highway. I used to leave work when we were, I don't do it so much now because there's not a whole lot of places to pass on my way home the way I travel, but when I would leave the car dealership, I would drive right by Walmart before I got to the house. It was a four and a half minute drive from my shop to my house, and Heather would call me and say, hey, on your way home, would you pick up bread and milk? We always needed bread and milk for some reason. And I said, sure, I will, no problem. And so I'd get in the car, and I would get on Broadway Extension, and I would cruise down the road, and I would turn into the neighborhood, and I would pull up in the driveway, and I'd walk in the house, and she would say, don't say it, I'll be back. Like, you know, because you just kind of get on autopilot, and then all of a sudden something hits, and it's like, I'm forgetting something. It's like, yeah, you're forgetting something. You're forgetting something that someone asked you three and a half minutes ago. Which is why she says, put it on the list. <laughs> because our minds are feeble that way. When we took Jody to OC, you know, she drove the whole way from Baton Rouge to Oklahoma City. You know, and she said, Dad, I want you to drive through Dallas. And I said, no. You have to learn how. And it's better for you to learn how while I'm in the car with you. And she said, well, let me put my map up here. And I said, no, I'm going to teach you to follow signs. Um, but you know what I had running? I had the map running because I've driven that road a hundred times. I can almost, no, let's not go that far. I can't do it blindfolded, okay? Don't drive through Dallas blindfolded, period. And it's not because the traffic gets crazy. It's because the roads are always changing. You just have to follow the signs. I said, look, babe, you're coming through here. You're going to be on 635, and you're looking for I-35. You have a Pike Pass, so take the express lanes. It's so much easier, and it makes the interchange easier. And so just look. She goes, is this the exit? And I was like, what does the sign say? And she would say, well, it says this. Is this the exit? And I would go, no, it's not the exit. You're looking for I-35 North. But, you know, I just want to be sure. I don't want to lead her astray on her first trip through Dallas. But we don't often have the ability to kind of check the map when we're asking God, but we trust that he's holding the map. Truth is, when Jody comes through Dallas, she's probably going to use the map to get here if she ever travels that by herself. But I wanted her to be confident in her ability to know what is coming so the map isn't something that you're looking at, staring at, because you don't know what the next one is coming. But you're just trusting that you know the way and you're just looking for the signs to stay on the right road. And yeah, there's going to be times where we look up and go, what mile marker is this? Where am I at? What's the city that we just passed through? How much further? I don't know. <sighs> I'm still here. <laughs> because doubt is a natural part of the journey, and it is a natural part of our journey in Christ as well. We should expect to come along on places where we just sit and look and go, <laughs> I don't know. Like, think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is willing to die for righteousness, but one of the things that John the Baptist can't stomach is dying for the wrong reason. And so here's John, man, and he's looking death in the face, and he's going, Jesus, tell me you're the one. Like, I don't, I think you're the one, and, and, and I really hope, I mean, I've been told all of my life that I was the one preparing the way for you, and I remember the day where I announced to my followers, go follow him. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. And I remember hearing the voice of God when you were baptized, and, and I know that it's true, but I just need something from you right now. Will you tell me? Am I about to give my life for nothing? 
Are you the one? Or should I be looking for someone else? And you know, the best part about it is Jesus doesn't send his apostles back to say, how dare you? How dare you doubt me? No, Jesus says, here's what I want you to tell John. I want you to go tell John all the things that you have seen. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The poor are preached the gospel. And all of those who aren't offended by me have received a blessing from God. John, you have faithfully served the one. And if you had doubts before, doubt no more. I am the one whom you have seen. I am the one. You have not led thousands astray. You have brought them to me. And you have lived your life faithfully just as God has asked you to do. He didn't say you're out. He said you're in. He said you're in because you have done what God asked of you and you have, have brought us to this place where you are. Um, doubt is a natural part of what you are going to experience. And, and ultimately in our lives we come on a few different kinds of doubt, right? I mean, doubt is a big word, and there's all kinds of things that is, that is packed into that. The, the first kind of doubt that we will see in our own lives is this intellectual doubt. And intellectual doubt is that kind of doubt where our minds are just unsure of whether the teachings of Christianity are true. Right? I mean, you hear something taught, and you go, hmm, I don't know about that. <laughs> That's going to require a little more investigation from me before I'm really willing and ready to go whole hog into this thing. And that's true about just about everything that comes out of Jesus' mouth. Love your enemies. I don't know about that. Bless those who mistreat you. Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> Let me see if this is really true. Um, you know, over and over again, Jesus teaches these things that kind of make you step back and go, hmm. Let me check. And we find out that it's true. We have that intellectual doubt that forces us to think more deeply about the things that are being taught and about the things that are being um, proclaimed that is natural to come about. There is um, emotional doubt that is often associated with pain or obstacles that come in our lives. And, and sometimes it is when our experiences have um, kind of brought us back to that place. Says, Remember when you were doubting if this Christianity stuff is true? Well, this is proof that it wasn't. Because the kind of stuff you're going through, the kind of pain that you're feeling, the kind of angst that you're going through, that is not what was promised to you. So, the only logical conclusion for the human mind is to say that this Christianity stuff is not true. Our emotions will lead us in that way if we allow our emotions to lead us, our emotions to lead us, instead of learning how to manage, control, and cope with them appropriately. And then there is moral doubt. And moral doubt usually comes about when we are tempted to disbelieve Christianity because we just simply don't want it to be true. 
I, I come along that most of the time when it comes to family and friends who just won't accept what I know to be true about the gospel. And so the easier thing for me to do is just say, you know what, I just, it's not that I don't, I, I don't know that it's true, it's that I just don't want it to be true. Because if it's true, that means people that I love and admire and have lived all of my life with have chosen a path that's inconsistent with God's will. And that means some things that I'm really not ready to deal with or to face head on right now. And, and so instead of dealing with it and facing it, we just say, well, I just, I don't want it to be true. And that leads us into a place of moral doubt. Sometimes that moral doubt comes about because we realize something is true, and if we believe it to be true, that's going to require me to do some things that I don't want to do. Change some things that I don't want to change. Cut out some things that I don't want to cut out. Do away with some things that I don't want to do away with. We realize how comfortable we have become living in this world, and... It's easier for me to doubt the truth of God's Word and the truth of who Jesus is than it is for me to change myself. And so we find ourselves in that place of moral doubt. These are things that we have to confront, and we confront them because what we understand is this, that doubt is one of those things that if we deal with it appropriately, motivates us to pursue a deeper faith, a deeper relationship with God. If we don't deal with it, it sets up obstacles and barriers that keep us from really knowing who God is. But if we look it in the face and say, all right, I recognize what's going on. I recognize that this is a part of my journey in Jesus. And so how do I deal with this? How do I cope with this? How do I take this moment and grow from it? When we learn to not be afraid of our doubt, but to face it, it motivates us to seek the deep things of God. God knows that you will have questions. He knows that you will have doubts. He knows that you can't see the big picture. Like, He made the picture. He created the thing, and He created you. And He knows your limited ability to view. Have you ever tried to find something with binoculars? We used to go deer hunting, and we didn't have land to hunt on, so we would have to go um, out to public hunting spaces. We would go up to the Guadalupe Mountains in northern New Mexico, um, and we didn't have tree stands. We didn't have feeders. Uh, my granddad taught me how to track deer, rather unsuccessfully, I might add. Um, we didn't shoot a lot of deer, uh, but we had a blast doing it. We saw loads of deer, and you could see them through the binoculars, and, you know, Pop Pop would say, hey, you see that buck over there? And I was like, no. He would say, use the binoculars, and I would look, and it was like, you know, it's like so zoomed in. It's like, I can't see. How do you see anything? And he goes, you got to find what you're looking for first and then keep your eyes on it and bring the binoculars up and then you can zoom in. Because if you're looking in this magnified place, you're never going to find what you're looking for because you're too close. 
So you've got to step back and see the big picture, find the area you're looking for, focus on it, and then bring the binoculars too. And you can then search a small area for exactly what it is that you're after. And we live life in that place of just way too close. And God says, look, it's okay for you to doubt. It's okay for you to doubt what's going on. He goes, it's even for you. It's even okay for you to doubt me. Because guess what? God says, I can handle your doubt. Because your doubt doesn't affect my ability to continue to care and provide for you. I'll always be here. Because if you'll trust in me, I can see what's on the other side of this mountain. And if you'll just stay close. If you will stay close to me on Friday, you will be present on Sunday when you find the tomb empty. And you might be a little doubtful today. But be prepared for the victory that comes in a little while. God knows that's who you are. God knows that's who I am. That's why over and over and over again he's, in Scripture we find the words, Do not fear. Take heart. Have faith in me. Trust in my steadfast love. Trust in my faithful love. Trust in me. Trust in God. Trust in God. Stand in His promises. Clothe yourselves in His armor. Put yourselves in Christ because we can't do it alone. We can't do it on our own. We need that supernatural help that comes from being in God. Not to conquer doubt, but to face it and grow from it. And to learn to embrace it. And say, I know you're here. And I know where you come from. And you're welcome to stay. Because here's what I know about doubts and fears that come into my life. If I learn how to confront them, they drive me into a deeper relationship with God. And that is who he's called us to be. That is the lives that he's called us to lead. Pursue the development of your faith and allow even your doubts to motivate you deeper in that pursuit.